truth is profitable and useful for teaching and correcting us in righteousness. So we do that here by standing before the word is preached. Let's stand as we read God's word. Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence. You are a God who is holy and righteous. Father, even as we read the text this morning, we really see how powerful you are. How incredibly sovereign you are over all of history. And yet, God, when we come into your presence, we are made aware of how far short we fall from your expectation. God, you want us to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the kingdom. And so often we fall short. So, Father, we bring our sins before you this, of this past week. Forgive us for believing false doctrine. Forgive us for living in a way that does not honor you. And our thoughts and our deeds. Forgive us how we have not loved our brothers and sisters patiently and kindness. Full of respect. So God, we come before you knowing that you are the only one who can offer forgiveness. So we confess our sins and we ask that you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those in our midst who are struggling this morning. I pray specifically for Ken Petter and for Jerry Green and Chris DeVos. We pray that you would be kind in healing them, Lord. Father, we pray for... Jonathan McGirt, God, we pray for Melissa Palou now. We pray, God, as she is uh, being uh, examined, even now, God, I pray that you would uh, just protect her life, God. We pray that you would restore feelings uh, in her legs, God, that this injury would not be severe. We pray that you would continue to be with him and her and Devin uh, and Ellie. Uh, dear God, we pray that you would continue to be in, 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 um, in, with the people of California who experienced another attack, Father. God, we pray that you would show your mercy in the situation, that those who meant to do evil 
that you would work it for your good. Father, we know that you allow these things to happen. And Father, we don't always understand, but we know that even in the midst of tragedy and pain, you can bring your glory to bear. So God, we pray that you would do that there. Do it in ways that we could not even expect. Father, we pray for your gospel to go forth in our community. We pray for Jay Hardwick this morning at North Rock Hill as he preaches your word to your people. We pray that that church would be formed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we pray that you would grow that church in holiness. For Father, we know that salvation belongs to you. Dear God, we ask now that we that you prepare our own hearts, Father. We thank you so much for what you're doing in the midst of our congregation, Father. We pray that you would continue to challenge us, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would allow us to hear your word um, with soft hearts, with ready ears, God, that we would not just desire to come and hear a word, but, God, that we would want to be changed, that we would want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I pray now for the people of God here that you would transform them into your image, that today they would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, Father. We pray that you would give them understanding, Lord, about the end of how you are going to wrap up all of human history. And pray, God, we, we pray that we would just be bound to the text this morning, that the words that are spoken are not spoken um, outside of your authority. So, God, we pray that we would just tether this message, message to the text of Holy Scripture. So, dear God, now we pray that you would come. We pray that you would speak in power, glorify your holy and precious name. But we pray that you and you alone would be glorified and honored during this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this past week, my dog uh, was diagnosed with cancer. I've had my dog for a little over four years. Um, we kind of knew it was coming. Uh, and yet still talking to my children and letting them know that the dog, the only animal they've ever known in their house, was uh, not going to be able to be with us much longer. Uh, you could tell it definitely kind of sh- had, had a shaking of their spirits uh, in our home. Uh, there are certain... certain information, certain news that when we hear it, it shakes our spirit. It could be uh, finding out that close friends of yours are divorcing. Close friend is walking away from the faith. Or the dreaded pronouncement of cancer. We know that there's certain news that shakes us to our very core. And yet when, when that news is certain information is spread among the church, it doesn't just shake us in our individual life, but it shakes the whole church to its core. It shakes their understanding of the faith. This morning, what we're going to look at from the text of Scripture is the the shaking of the faith of the Thessalonians. Their faith was, was shaken because certain people were coming in and they were speaking information. They were speaking doctrine, news that was false. And it caused them to be shaken. And I pray that as we look at how they were shaken, that you would not be shaken. Uh, we, we look at that which deserves to be destroyed. If you want to follow along in the outline provided for you, the first point is uh, that which is worthy of destruction is destructible doctrine. Uh, destructible doctrine, doctrine that should be destroyed. Look with me again in verse 1 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him. 
If you remember from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's that great picture when the, when the trump resounds, that the, the saints of God, those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ, are caught up together with the Lord in the air. That's that picture. So Paul is reminding them that. Remember the, the time concerning the times and coming of the Lord. When we are gathered together, when that happens, he says, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit, a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So in the church of the Thessalonians, there was a, a, a group that was spreading false doctrine, a lie that the day of the Lord had already come. And Paul's commanding, do not be shaken, do not be alarmed. When a spirit, whether by prophecy, a, a spoken word, or a letter that seemingly came from us, that the Lord has already come. That the day of the Lord has already come. This, this, this false doctrine that was spreading throughout the, the church. Because some of the people were, were, were thinking, did we miss the day of the Lord? Has the, has the Lord already come back and we missed it? It was a lie. It had not happened. Beloved, there is false doctrine uh, being spread in churches all across America. Uh, false doctrine is very dangerous. Paul warns in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, telling them that there's going to be wolves who are going to rise up from within the congregation and speak heresy, speak lies. Now, we see it in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1, where people are named by name for their false doctrine and their false heresy. Now, we don't live in a day where doctrine is often rejoiced in or taught. Sometimes we use the word doctrine and we go boring and cold. Right? Who wants to study doctrine? But here the thing is, doctrine, false doctrine, will lead you to hell. If you have the false doctrine, false doctrine creates false converts. And false converts have false hope when they stand before the Lord. And what we can look at is what God's holy word says so that we don't have false doctrine in profession or in practice. This is very, very serious. So because if you have false doctrine, it leads itself to live, it causes you to live as if your belief in Christ were to be false. So if we have a twisted view of, of money, we put too much hope in our resources. Uh, we, we, we hold on to it too much. We try to accumulate things. We may have a twisted view of our of relationships where we think that people live to serve us rather than we live to serve them. In, in today's society, I see a twisted view of the Sabbath where people... Don't pay honor to the Lord on the Lord's day. They don't make time for Him. Or a twisted view of the church. We're, we're all part of the, the big C church, but we're not called to be part of the local church. I, just see, I hear false doctrine all the time. And I'm sure you do too. Some of you may, may realize it. Some of you may not. 
But what Paul is saying here is that this church was alarmed. They were shaken to their core because people were spreading false doctrine in the church. One of the reasons that God even gives the church is for sound doctrine and sound teaching. Listen to what Titus chapter 1 says about why he commanded to have elders or leaders in the church. One of their functions was this. Pastors, elders, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Beloved, one of the gifts of the church is that you would be instructed in sound doctrine. America, in general, is kind of in a scary place when it comes to doctrine. Uh, We highlight the individual. The individual is king in America. So because the individual is king, what I believe is most important, rather than what God has said. So the doctrine of Park Baptist Church is simply the Word of God. Now, we we may disagree on on, on smaller points, but the, the bottom line is, are we coming to grow in sound doctrine in the Word of the Lord? We have tremendous opportunities in our church for you to grow in sound doctrine. One of the best kept secrets of your growth is Sunday school. Where you can go and and really learn what the Bible says in a small setting and ask questions. Or our community groups. Where you can kind of go and really wrestle with the text. And we also have church on Wednesday night. Oh! Middle of the week! And Sunday night where we get a chance to hear the word of God being proclaimed. Listen, if, if, if you are bombarded with doctrine all week long, the world is trying to form you into its own image. You're being bombarded week in and week out, hour by hour, minute by minute. The challenge is, is are you built up in the, in the faith, in the truth of God's Word, to fight against the onslaught of worldly thinking? So that when someone comes to you in false doctrine, you won't be alarmed. This church was alarmed because they did not know the truth. They did not hold fast to it. They were shaken. So when someone comes from within or from without of our church and speaks false doctrine, are we strong enough to say, that's just not true, based upon the Word of God? This is why we want to spend time in the Scriptures. Well, the second thing we see here is that which was worthy of destruction is a destructible deceiver. The deceiver. Uh, this is the Antichrist. Many of you have, it doesn't say it here, it mentions the same person in 1 John 2. Let's just read uh, verses 3 and following. It says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will come. So, just to, as, as a point, Paul is trying to clarify to the church the day of the Lord. He's saying, listen, the, the, the heresy that's going around the church, the day of the Lord has already come. And Paul is trying to give them information, sound doctrine of why the day of the Lord has not come. And what does he do is he teaches, he is teaching on the Antichrist. Not maybe where I would have gone, but that's where Paul lands. So we want to make sure that we look about this in kind of like a balanced view. Let's read the text again. 
Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So when Paul was with the church of the Thessalonians, he told them about the day of the Lord. He told them specifically about more information about the Antichrist. We don't know that here. Paul doesn't reveal that. It wasn't in God's sovereign wisdom. It didn't allow that to to stay into the text. But what it does say is that before the day of the Lord comes, two things are going to happen. The first thing is there's going to be a rebellion. Now, the word rebellion there literally is apostasy. There is going to be a great falling away of the people of God from Christ. They're going to, move, they're going to leave the faith. That's what it says. That, that the first before the, the day of the Lord is going to come, the correction, what has to happen first, there has to be a great rebellion against God. People leave him. Now, we, we see that even in our day, right? In our, in our American context, we see a lot of people leaving the faith, leaving the, the inerrant word of Scripture. Now, that's not true all over the world. There's probably more believers now than there has ever been in the history of the world. It's just not in the West. It's not in America or Europe. But in South America, Africa, Asia, man, people are coming to Christ more and more. And yet in America, we see a falling away. Well, what, what, what it's speaking about here, there's going to be a great falling away of the people of God. They're going to turn away from the faith. Well, the second thing we see here is that the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. So before the day the Lord comes, before that day when the Lord comes in in glory, well, the rebellion must happen. And two, the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. So you see him called two things here. It says in verse 3 that he's the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Some of you may have perdition in in your text. Those are adjectives of the kind of person this this man is going to be. He is going to be one who is uh, lawless, meaning that he does not live according to the word of God. Now, those who do not live according to the word of God sometimes act as if they do. Sometimes the the, the devil is, is said to be an angel, um, or to be one who's described as an angel of, of light. But he's really a wolf in sheep's clothing. So when we think about the lawless one, it's one who speaks false doctrine, speaks false truth, lives their life in such a way in contrary to the Lord. And because of that, he is referred to as the son of destruction. The only other time that language is used in the, in the New Testament is when Jesus speaks of Judas. Jesus calls Judas the son of destruction, the one who condemned him to die. But the other thing we see, notice about the man of lawlessness, is that he is going to exalt himself in the place of God. It says right there in verse 4, he says he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That is the most affront that you can go towards the Lord. It's saying, I am God. God, this man will do. Now, we don't know exactly where the temple of God is. Is he speaking literally of the the Jewish temple in Jerusalem? Or is he speaking figuratively? 
Now, Paul, when he mentions the temple of God in the New Testament, it's usually always referring to the church. So we can think, maybe assume, that the, the, the lawless one, the Antichrist, is going to be a leader in the church. Who that is, we do not know, but we know that those things must happen. And like I said, Paul says, don't you remember I told you these things when I was with you? There's more information about the Antichrist that Paul told the Thessalonians that, he, that we don't have. So we shouldn't speculate, right, about who the Antichrist is or who, who's not the Antichrist. I think some people love having that conversation. Right? I don't think the text gives us freedom to do, to do so. But it's, it's interesting. Look at verse 6. It says, And you know that what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. When we think about the end times, some of you, um, let me just kind of go ahead and put my cards on the table. In the text, I don't think Paul is talking about a pre-tribulation rapture here. Many of you were taught a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, the tribulation is a great time of testing for the church, that rebellion where people are going to fall away. Uh, some people think that the, that the Lord is going to uh, come. He's going to rapture the church, meaning the church is going to be caught up, go to heaven for seven years, and then come down and reign in glory. Now, the reason why I would say here from the text, it's not a, a pre-tribulation rapture, but a, a post-tribulation rapture, is because Paul is talking about what the tribulation is going to be like. He's explaining that this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be a falling away. And this is what the Antichrist is, is going to look like. This is what the Antichrist is going to do. Showing them that this is what, how to prepare the church for when this happens. So I think that we have to ask ourselves, if the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, why did Paul prepare the church for the tribulation? We just have to answer that question. I think what Paul is doing is Paul is saying, you're going to be there. Get ready. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. Get ready for the coming of the lawless one. Now, we can disagree about those things, but remember, when we want to become students of the Scriptures, what does the Bible say? Not what have you been taught in the past, but what does the Bible say? I want you to be like the Bereans who after someone teaches you, you look and you examine the Word of God. So you have, to, you have to ask yourself, what do I believe about the end? What do I believe about the tribulation? I think from the text we can make, make, make an illusion that I think the church is going to be here when the tribulation happens, when the Antichrist is going to be revealed, and then the end will come. Well, just what we see here in the text, we see uh, uh, Paul mentioned the restrainer. Now, uh, again... There has been so much discussion theologically throughout history what this text really means. Some would say that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is restraining evil until the time of the great, um, the great tribulation. Some say that the restrainer is Satan. That the, Satan is restraining evil for a time so that he can choose when he wants to reveal this mass evil. Uh, some would say that this idea of restraint is government, that the government has, is put in place by God to restrain the forces of evil, Romans chapter 13. The truth is we don't know. 
The way the text is written in the Greek, we can't figure out if it's good or bad. It's, very, it's, it's a neutered text, so it mean, meaning that we don't know if it's a good restrainer or a bad restrainer. So you can make a, an application either way, and you could be right or you could be wrong. So that means that we have to be cautious on who we say that restrainer is. But I think the key here is verse 8. Sorry, verse uh, 7. When it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So John, in 1 John chapter 2, talks about the Antichrist rising up in the church. He says, there are, there, The Antichrist is coming, and yet there are Antichrists right now. Now, usually when we say the word Antichrist, that's like, well, that's, you can't get any worse than that. But an Antichrist is just someone who is against Christ. That's what it means, an anti-against Christ. And there is a spirit of our age that is against the Lord Jesus Christ in our society. Lawlessness against the things of God is at work in our culture. And sadly, it's at work in many of our churches. So we can debate about who the Antichrist is, the pre-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture, but what we can't ignore is that the spirit of the Antichrist is here. And we can't be shaken by it. Because our God is powerful enough to overcome the Antichrist. Look at what the text says. Verse 8. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will what? Will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Beloved, we wait for that day. We wait for that day when Jesus Christ will come in glory and all that the evil in our society, the Lord will destroy. This is allusion to the, the, the promised Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, which reads, Of the Messiah will come with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. We should not be alarmed or shaken. The evil of the Antichrist, the, the spirit of lawlessness that is already at work, cannot stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the, the greatest force of darkness in this world, the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the, the breath of his mouth. If that's the power of our God, we should not fear the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, let me close with this. The last thing worthy of destruction is delusion, a destructible delusion. Look at verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all the power and false signs and wonders. So we, we, we get the picture here that, the, the, that this, this Antichrist will have some sort of a messianic-like powers. Uh, he'll, he'll perform signs and wonders. I don't think it's the false signs here doesn't mean that that which is um, an illusion. I think it's that which is a, a real sign but shows himself to be the false Messiah. And it says in verse 10, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. This is where I want to focus on right now. It says those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. So there are, there's going to be people during the tribulation when the Antichrist is going to be revealed, who are perishing, 
who are going to perish before God. Why does it say that? There's that because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. So if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are consistent and rebel against the Lord Jesus, eventually what the Lord Jesus will allow you to do is to go the way of your desires. We see Romans 1 here. God will give you over to your desires so that you, they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. What you see here, beloved, that those who are, are perishing, those who are going to perish before God, four things happen. They refused to love the truth. That's different than just knowing the truth. Right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to teach you truth. But I don't know what's happening when you hear it. Are you loving the truth of God's Word? Or is your heart fighting against it? I'm trying to declare clearly what the Bible is teaching. Are we loving? Are we rejoicing in this truth? Two, we, those who are perishing believed what is false. They believed that false doctrine which I mentioned earlier. Earlier caused them to perish. Three, they did not believe the truth. And four, they loved unrighteousness. One of the things I just want to see from this text, we'll look at this more uh, next week, and I think it flows through the next section of, the, of Paul's argument. But what you love is, leads you to what you believe. If you love unrighteousness, Love, love darkness, love the things of this world, you'll be led away from the truth. But if you love truth, if you love God's Word, if you love the Savior who, who is the epitome of truth, you will, you'll be led to, to believe what is right. You'll be led to, to have sound and, and strong doctrine. There's coming a day when we all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, what you believe will matter. But more so, who you believe. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who came and, and died and shed his blood to, 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 to free you from your sin. To pay your penalty on the cross. To be raised to give you hope for all time. There is things in this world that deserve to be destroyed. False doctrine, the deceiver, and those who are deluded, who do not believe the truth. I can stand before you today, as my brother Robert prayed, that we are unworthy. We are unworthy of God's grace. All of us are unworthy. And yet, God has given us a way. God has given us a way to be worthy of through His Son. All we must do is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that we may be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. God, I thank You that You in Your kindness have saved us, have redeemed us from all lawlessness, 
by ransoming your son in our place. Father, I pray that you would prepare us for that day, the day when the tribulation comes, when the lawless one is revealed. We pray, O oh God, we pray that we would not be shaken or alarmed, but we would stand firm in the truth of your holy gospel. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.